correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome back to Me and Steve. I'm here tonight, as usual, with Steve. Hello. Yes, and the other Steve is the voice in my head. But anyway, all right, so let's get right into it because uh, that's what we do. I mean, Steve. we have other people in the in the Discord chat. Yes, yeah, well, introduce them. I'm getting to that. Well, are you? Let's let's do our podcast of the week. But that's the it's a, it's all relative. Okay, <laughs> all right. Our podcast of the week this week is going to be talked about by the hosts of said podcast. So, uh, welcome Logan and Griffin from the Story Told. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, Glad folks. To be here. I think I'm trapped in a box, though. I'm very confused. Oh. <laughs> well, given what I've seen of, of New York living, that would describe your life as to what compared to what I'm used to. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like Steve and Steve said, we are from the Story Told Podcast. We are also members of the D20 Radio Network, and we do a lot of game reviews and interviews from independent content creators uh, for the past four years now. And a couple yeah. little APs on the side for about a weekly release, which <laughs> is a lot of fun. And if you enjoy what we do here today please come and join us um on our show over there thank you for having us steve yeah thank you so much (laughs) thank you for coming on the podcast yeah exactly and well because this is going to be uh part of our october lineup where we kind of highlight eh, dark spooky etc games um we figured we get you two to come on and talk about what at least as i understand it is one of both of your favorite games and also part of the greater world of darkness or whatever it's called now family that being changeling yeah changeling the dreaming uh probably one of in my top three games of all time <laughs> i can't speak for griffin but definitely in my top three. i mean changeling the dreaming has there's a special part of my heart that is shaped like changeling the dreaming it is one of those games that i came across when i was a teenager and I instantly fell in love with it. And it is one of the games that definitely is the reason I'm still here. Oh, God, almost 20 years later. The reason I'm still here telling stories and, and enjoying this stuff. So, so yeah. Um, and it also has a pretty decent spooky bent to it sometimes. Although, you know, it may not seem like it because the book has so many bright colors. <laughs> But it, it's got some spooky well, stuff. Well, blood is red, Griffin. Blood, blood yeah, is red. And in Changeling, <laughs> blood is bright red. Um, yeah, it's got some spooky stuff to it. Now, I will say before we get into this, I probably have some very conflicting views of Changeling than the vast majority of people. You will hear them. If you don't agree with them, you have full license to come and yell at me. It won't change my mind. <laughs> oh, hey, you know, everybody has their opinions and we're all entitled to them, so. <laughs> are we? I think we are. <laughs> So Changeling, as as I recall, is what largely Fey based. Um, I mean, yes. I mean, I think you could probably make an argument for Land of Eight Million Dreams not being Fey because it operates under an entirely different paradigm and system. Um, but then that's a whole 
separate topic. I was just going to add in that I feel like what a lot of World of Darkness games do is they establish the society of this certain type of supernatural creature separate from the way that humans understand them. So, like, vampires don't necessarily think of themselves as vampires. They think of themselves as kindred. Humans just came to call them vampires eventually. Um, so, like, yes, it's fey, but, like, really they're kind of, like, dream spirits. And, like, yeah, when I, yeah, 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 just that, like, there's there's a cool distance between, like, the fact that the game is named Changeling, but it's named Changeling because that's, like, the way that humans interact with these things that are actually pretty significantly other in, in and have their own rules and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I, I am vaguely, well, I wouldn't say even familiar. I'm aware of the game, but that's, that's been, <laughs> I was of an age when the white wolf explosion happened in the late nineties, where it was right after like when uh, interview with a vampire had come out was all the rage and vampires were like the big trendy thing. And I was like, so this is uh, related to that game. It's about the super trendy thing, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> nah. And I also didn't quite grasp what they were trying to do with the system, you know, and, and where they were trying to focus the game. You know, I was still fairly new to gaming at that point, And I was still all about, you know, the action and whatever. and not that that doesn't happen, but it's not as focal a part of most World of Darkness games, at least in my understanding, as it is in many of the games that kind of led up to that. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the ways that White Wolf and World of Darkness stepped in was that like D&D &D was like, here's this great adventure system that's about going out and doing things and external conflicts and, you know, you know, going on the grand adventure through the dungeon to hunt the dragon. Um, and I know very little about the history of role-playing games, so I could be totally talking out of my butt on this one. But I feel like one of the things that, that White Wolf sort of came along and do, did in a very, like, big popular way was say, you know, like, what if your mind was the dungeon? And what if you, you were really the dragon? And so, like... I feel like White Wolf and, and World of Darkness games sort of privilege this internal conflict, which stems from the character's monstrosity. And I think that's what what made them sort of interesting or new at that time, I think. And to piggyback off that, I also think, and I, this is my belief, so don't, this is not me like quoting any kind of scripture or anything. I think that the advent of the storyteller system and the conceit about the dungeon of the mind, um, as Griffin kind of eloquently put it, opened the door or at least cracked it open for the plethora of really narrative-based low mechanic indie games we see today i see that narrative like shift with that um others might others might disagree with me and have other points of conjecture on that but i see white wolf and i have to give a lot of credit for white wolf for doing that into developing the gaming like world and library that we have today in a lot of respects you know, when we say a, a game is narrative, uh, some of what we mean by that is that it pays attention to a character's internal states and how those internal states affect the choices that they make um, and how that becomes the story. And so I totally agree with you on that, Logan. You know, like White Wolf started by saying, like, what if you were a monster and your mind worked really different? and You had to make sure that you could pretend to be a human so that you didn't just eat people. And we have all this internal conflict. And it makes complete sense for indie developers to come along and be like, yeah, but what if you were a person? What if you weren't <laughs> a monster? Because people have internal <laughs> states too. You don't necessarily need to like 
amp the goth up to 11 in order to get to like a character's internal states. But it's a lot of fun when you do. <laughs> and I, I think that kind of tracks, at least in, in my awareness of the development of RPGs. Although that being said, I find it really, really amusing that I remember I heard an interview a couple of years ago with Mark Reinhagen and the mechanical aspects of the original world of darkness were actually done by someone they brought in from shadow run. Oh, that explains that explains a handful of weirdly tracks. <laughs> it's all coming into place suddenly. Fifteen years of playing these games. Oh no, <laughs> which you know is notoriously crunchy and well. As one of the biggest fans of Shadowrun, I know told me on this podcast, no one plays Shadowrun for the system. <laughs> I mean, does anyone really like throwing buckets of D6s at things? I, I mean, yes, but... Why, why do, why, why, but why do a bucket of D6s when you could do a bucket of <laughs> Then why not a bucket of I mean, D12s? Like, let's be real here. <laughs> I mean, that's what, we, that's what, I mean, that's what we have Cortex <laughs> for, right? Um, <laughs> I love Cortex. I'm not knocking Cortex. Cortex is wonderful. I'm just being shady because that is, hey. that's my brand. Um, good. <laughs> um but yeah but but changeling at the same time like <laughs> just speaking of white wolf very quickly became like the bastard pointy-eared red-headed stepchild of the family too <laughs> i mean it, like it didn't take long for that to happen well it's doing something so very different than other white wolf games do right i made the comment about bright colors at the start of it because like that was that was a, an experience that the world of darkness players had when they they ran into the changeling book you know that's an experience that i had you know i had been raised on a little bit of vampire some very well-intentioned but perhaps not well run uh games of mage the ascension you know i was i was used to to white wolf books being sort of like grr um and the changeling book is just delightful <laughs> like the art in that game has always been delightful and it just it you know it opened up all of these possibilities for what the world of darkness could have been uh or or what the world of darkness was is what i guess i mean to say yeah well i mean i just from the covers though, mm -hmm. like you're talking about the color or, you know, the vampire cover was that marble dark green mm -hmm. mage was, I think purple vampire mm -hmm. was like a dark red. I think, um, I don't remember mage or I said mage was purple. Yeah. White was gray. Vampire was uh, green. Yeah, always kind of brown. Okay. Brown? I was a little off, but then changeling was gold and mosaic. Yeah. And stained glass windows. And yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was. And it was, I, the first gaming book I really bought and knew was a gaming book was Werewolf the Apocalypse 2nd Edition. The first game I fell in love with and was able to play was Changeling the Dreaming, and I played it on the old mm. HTML chats <laughs> that White Wolf had. Chef's Kiss, I loved those things. They were a hot mess of a lot of really messy personalities, myself included. And um, <laughs> and it, it, it just resonated so much because Changeling is so hyper-focused on personal identity in a lot of respects. Um, I think more so than other White Wolf games, with a possible exception of Mage with your whole paradigm aspect. But Changeling is very much about embracing and being who you are full tilt, like turn it up to 11, even though the speaker only goes to 10. Um, because otherwise you forget who you are, and that is like the antithesis of what the entire game is about. 
Um, or I'm not saying that correctly, but forgetting who you are and that banality of becoming normal and not special is a death sentence in Changeling. And I think that's what I really resonated with it. Mm-hmm. I think I have a, a, a pretty similar experience too, right? And, and maybe just uh, worth defining our terms, like in Changeling, you play a fairy, essentially a fairy who has melded their soul with a human soul and has been in like the 1300s usually. There are exceptions. And you have been sort of reincarnating through the past 700 years. Uh, and every time you reincarnate, you have to sort of like come back into your own as a fae and like, but you're a fae who's in a human body. And so to everyone else around you, you you look like a normal person. Other fae can see your sort of like dream form, though, that's melded with this human body and can be affected by it in a way that non-fae can't. And so there's uh, a kind of like, mum's the word, you know, sort of uh, community among changelings. And then it turns out that all of the all of the fae that all the changelings that you play are connected to a dream realm in the in the world called the dreaming, um, and the dreaming ha- like has an occasional overlap with the 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 material world, but is mostly a world that's beyond it, um, and it's a it's a world that is threatened by this energy in the material world produced in part by humans, which is just called banality. And it's, it's like the boringness of things. It's the inevitable heat death of the universe. You know, it's like everything falling into place and nothing being dynamic anymore. Well, what, well, that's, that's to interject. That's more of a development of, um, uh, changeling, the dreaming 20th anniversary. I think they really did a lot to shape Mm -hmm. a better understanding of what banality is. Because in like first and second editions, you're like you're talking about dynamism and like stuff not being static. Banality in first and second editions could even include science. And this newest edition, this newest iteration of it, has really chosen to like talk about how science can be innovative and can be dynamic and interesting. I'm really appreciative that they did that. Yeah, me too. Because like that's true. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, just as far as like defining our terms, when when you play a changeling. The, the fun of it is that you work by different rules than the other mortals around you. You come from this dream world and you have to sort of fight to keep this dream world alive, mostly by inspiring the mortals around you to maybe uh, step up, you know, participate with their dreams, live their dreams. And their dreams don't always have to be good. Their dreams can be really horrifying sometimes. But like no matter what you do, you're fighting for, you're fighting for the dreaming because the dreaming is you, you, you're running the risk of the dreaming dying, the more banality exists in the world. And because it's the world of darkness, the world has only the, the world of darkness has only ever been slipping deeper and deeper into banality to the point where the changelings are, are seriously afraid by the modern nights that, that the dreaming is on its, on its last legs. Uh, there's it's it's a last ditch fight kind of thing. But right. Mm-hmm. Instead of but like the, the things that you do to to fight to save the dreaming m- may involve like going on quests and unlocking treasures and stuff like that. But it could also be just like helping a sculptor do work they never thought they could have done. And so so anyway, or destroying them in the process of doing so. But like but I guess this is all circling back to Logan's point about like how did I first interact with this game? What did it mean to me? Why did I fall so deep into it? And like, 
I think one of the things that stood out to me about that is that as a changeling, you pl you play sort of by the rules of the dream world that you come from. You know, if you are playing uh, an animal based trickster who are called Puka and they're perfect, um, <laughs> uh, if you are playing a Puka, then you have rules that you have to follow about whether or not you can tell the truth. And if you break those rules, then you're letting banality into the world. And as a teenager who was a really big theater kid, I picked this up and I was like, oh, acting advice. This is great. Like there's there's literally there's a whole type of character you can play who are also perfect called the Slua. Um, and they are like the, cre the the sort of standard world of darkness, creepy goth kid splat. But like one of the rules they have to follow is they can never speak above a whisper. And so you have to play the whole game doing their voice in a whisper. It's really hard to do, but it's so much fun. Yeah, but we all knew that goth kid that did that, though. <laughs> and here, I'm sorry, I don't mean to call anybody out. But yes, like... we did. <laughs> now, this is this touches on a subject of changeling that I hold that many people, most people, I might be the only one that holds this opinion, disagree with. Within changeling, after all of that, there's also the divide between noble and commoner. And I think, I firmly believe that the entire game is ultimately about the she and, the, and their noble houses. You may want to explain who the she are, Logan. I am. I'm getting there. Great. Great, great, great. So the she, so like we had Puka, that Griffin, and Puka are perfect. I love Puka. I'm not saying anything to discredit the importance of the other, of the other types of changelings you can play. But the she are the quintessential elves, to give you an idea of what they look like visually. And they belong to noble houses. There's about 14 of them. And the 1300s, 1400s, when the shattering happened and the dreaming and the mortal world split, causing all the problems that we the changelings face today, the nobles went back to Arcadia largely. There were some who stayed, predominantly from very specific houses that we don't need to get into right now. Check out the game. You'll find out about it there. But 1969 happens, and the moon landing happens, and the gates to Arcadia, that mythical realm in the dreaming that is the home to all Fae, reopen and the nobles come back thinking that spring had come back only to find out that no it hadn't now the reason i think that the game is ultimately about this ultimately about she is because they are the catalyst for everything they left when the shattering happened they return and the resurgence they only get one life unless they stayed behind before so they have where other changelings reincarnate they only get one chance to do it the dreaming also backs their privilege and i use that word very specifically They've also had more word count than virtually any other kith or system in, in the game. I think that is indicative of them being the most important, personally. Many people disagree with me. I will probably get yelled at for that. <laughs> I mean, seems fair. Also seems like very much, you know, them being, you know, elvish in appearance. That also plays kind of into even the Tolkien take on, you know, the elves went, eh, okay, yeah, you people screwed everything up. We're going over here and you can have your problems. Yeah. I mean, they, they are, they are, the she are problematic too. Typically if they're an Arcadian she and changeling dreaming 20th anniversary, instead of having like a typical kith flaw, they have a banality's curse or something like that. It was called banality's curse. It's called something else now um, where banality hits them harder because they're less part of this world. But when they don't have it, they're really indignant, arrogant jerks. <laughs> like, like that is their flaw. Like, the more they get closer to the pure stuff of the dreaming, the more awful they become. Which is 
ironic, I suppose. Um, and like how aristocrats can work sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and, and it's funny because like I, t- I like I'm a big she stan. I love them. They're my favorite kith, and I think it's interesting that of all the White Wolf games. There's always a clan or a tribe that is like the creme de la creme. You have the Silver Fangs, you have the Ventru, um, you have the Order of Hermes, I guess arguably for Mage. Wraith might not really have it. Wraith is Wraith splats are just all, all over the place in some really cool ways. They don't really ha- yeah, yeah, yeah. But where those other games have like a tribe or a, or a clan or whatever that is the aristocracy, None of them go into it as deeply or as effectively, in my opinion, as Changeling does. And that whole noble-commoner divide is really important to the overall structure of the game. And it can be equally beautiful, and it can be equally horrifying. I mean, I have seen people in games I've run just be, like, knowing that someone is a she automatically assumes they're the villain, when the villain is really, like, you know, a commoner trying to, like, assassinate people. And it's really interesting to me. (laughs) that the second you put aristocracy on something, it's automatically assumed to be a villain in, like, these broad brushstrokes. And it's really, it's a fun thing to play into sometimes when you're running it. Well, okay. I'm just, based on what I'm hearing you say, so the the classic kind of WOD trope is the monster within. It almost sounds like kind of what they're saying with Mm -hmm. Changeling is the monster is us as a society. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, right, it's it's very easy to read the Fae is the good guys and the mortals is the bad guys because the Fae belong to the dream world and the dream world is really cool. And the mortals are like killing the dream world by like basically just spiritually polluting the world with like DMVs and bills and taxes and just like who needs any of that when you could go on adventure and so it, it's it's very easy to it's very easy to split into that. And but it, really, what it, it comes down to is right that there's there's these are two worlds with two different sets of rules. And just because the dreaming's world is heightened doesn't mean it's always good. There are plenty of nightmares in the dreaming world, and there's plenty of cruelty. And uh, and sometimes that cruelty stings more, or there's a more of a twist of more of an excuse. To, you know, twist a dagger if you're in changeling society. And to give you an example of that, every changeling has a seely and an unseely nature, and seely is more about community, um, higher ideals. It's not good because it can very easily be taken to a dark place. But then you have unseely, which is the individual chaos, and it can it can be good, but it can also be very self-serving. And you see that reflected in every aspect of this game, this duality. Like, um, the noble houses have seely houses and unseely houses. The Kithane, um, there's the Kithane who are, like, the splats you play, but you also have the Thalon, which are dark reflections of them. Um, you have the Tawatha and the Fomori. Um, you see that term bandied about in Changeling as well. Um, so these parallels of like light versus dark, and I'm saying that specifically because it's not good versus evil, it's light versus dark, constantly warring with each other, um, mm-hmm. are just laced throughout the entire game. No, it just, like, like I said, it, it almost sounds like, like I said, the, 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 you want to say the monster or the dark is the directions that society pulls. Like, cause you also kind of hinted at that where you said, you know, part of the game, the, the, the thing of the game is discovering your character's identity and so it's it's almost like the part of the the dark is Mm. being absorbed as a faceless member of society Mm -hmm. i don't know if i'm 
you know, again, I'm basing a lot of this off what I've heard you say, but no, you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I think I think truthfully, it's both because I think individual characters can be very monstrous too. So I mean, I and I think it's kind of like a chicken or the egg situation. Did society make the monstrous, or are they monstrous and therefore putting that into society? Because like arguably, like the red caps, for instance, are based pretty much whole cloth on the fairy tales resulting in red red caps where they dip their caps in blood and they're very violent and changeling chooses to interpret that as hunger um and they can eat anything and it's really really cool and they're arguably part of Cathane society i'm well, not arguably they are a part of Cathane society but they're very distrusted because they're known to be very monstrous so i think what you're getting at is the fact and i think i think this is also highlighting probably a negative aspect of the game is that there's a lot of nebulous gray area within it that you can do a lot with, but it also makes it kind of hard to parse. So, and and I'll say this and just, just with all respect, this is the first time I'm like really hearing somebody talk about changeling. And I really love, I, I think I like this one the most out of the other world of darkness. Games. It, it has so much heart. It has so much freaking heart. Like it is just all heart. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> well, not only that, but I appreciate that they're... How do I put this? World of Darkness has this problem in my mind where they want to play with myth and legend, but they do it with like reckless abandon. So they play with a lot of Native American myth and legend, and there was a lot of controversy surrounding that. This one is being more Western Europe, talking about the Seelie and Unseelie, the Fae, the She... That's all Western European, you know, we're talking UK, Ireland, that that side where the majority of, of white people have their background where they should, you know, that's that's a lot of myth and legend that came out of there. So hearing that makes it really interesting just on that end alone, because that's like my wheelhouse. <laughs> Well, Changeling does dive into some of that. Um, first edition had the Nunahai, which were changelings of Native American origin, and they were very much a separate thing. You have like, 8 Million Dreams, which focuses on like fae spirits um, in China. I think it's China primarily. I'm not well-versed in that specifically, in that game specifically, or that source book specifically. And it does have like common Cathane, like the uh, the Satyrs are very Greek in origin. You have the Eshu, which are African. And so it's gotten a lot of criticism in the past, and I think rightfully so, for being very Eurocentric and playing into some very, int not interesting, um, I'm not sure the word I want to use for this, but playing into tropes of other cultures that they didn't quite get right enough. I will say in the new C20 um, Player's Guide that they did a make a much more cons concerted effort to hire writers from those cultures that they were writing about. And th from what I understand, it has been a lot more better received, but it does have, a, but by and large, it does have a very Eurocentric approach to its mythology, which I think helps give it a little bit of focus. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really interesting though. I think too, like you're saying there's the gray area, but like as I'm getting, you know, older, whatever, sometimes those gray areas are where it's so much fun to actually play mm -hmm. because like, well, okay, I can do this. And what happens? Well, we get to make it up because they didn't tell us. 
Yeah. I also, you know, I also think White Wolf does try to do a lot. You know, I think actually a lot of traditional games try to do a whole lot, because if you try to do a whole lot, you can publish a bunch of source books about it, you yeah. know, uh, and you can also, frankly, throw more information at your at the storytellers than they would ever really need, which means that they all get to make different choices about the games that they're running you know, the individual chronicles that you're that they're running of your game, which means that there's a, a whole wide variety of different types of changeling games out there. And that's totally fine. But I think that there is in a lot of White Wolf games, right, a, a, a very like set couple of patterns. Like if you know the clans and vampire, like you can kind of pick up on who's a Malkavian here or there if you're moving around in a game. And I think you're right, Steve, like one of the most fun things about those gray areas is that like you don't know like the expect like you get to discover you get to be spontaneous like you can't necessarily know which way there's going to go this way which way this is going to go because you've read all these source books like who knows and i think i think one of the things that that c20 does to help to help bring this up is that logan correct me if i'm wrong but don't they have rules for making up your own kit they do, yes. Um, and they're and they give you an, and then they run you through like an example of making a kith too, which is really cool, and that's really helpful. I don't particularly do much of that, but that's a me thing. Um, I <laughs> I tend to be with my world of darkness. I tend to be very like this is what's written. Let's do this, which is really weird for me. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I do that. I'll unpack that later. <laughs> but yeah, there's ways in there to make your own cathane to make your own anything and like the, it gives you a lot of scaffolding and like lays a lot of groundwork mm -hmm. for you to kind of make the game what you want of it yeah the, um which is fun the game seems awesome i, I really fun, actually <laughs> would love to get my hands on it and try it out at some point it's not just an awesome game it's a game about being awesome right like <laughs> the goal of all your player characters is like we have to be so cool or else the world is gonna die <laughs> <laughs> i i love that though also like i think high school me would have really loved this yeah it like it, it, yeah I, high school me got through high school because of this game because <laughs> being a burgeoning homosexual um I saw a lot of I, there was a lot of resonance with this game with uh, having to deal with that aspect of myself. Um, here's here's a neat thing that Changeling the Dreaming does and has done for a while since I've been playing it. Uh, you know, way back when I was in high school, um, is that the mana stat in Changeling the Dreaming is called glamour, and it's kind of like liquid emotion that you get off of humans who dream, like who dream and then like make art or like are involved in great romances or stuff like that. That's at least one of the ways that you get glamour. There's another way to get glamour in Changeling, though, because you are 100% fey, but also 100% human, and it's just a lovely paradox, and that's where you live, and that's cool. Which means that if you ever do anything in game that really surprises yourself, you can get glamour from yourself. <laughs> um, which to me, like, in, I, I knew this picking this game up as a high schooler. I was like, oh, that's that's a great reward system for players in a role playing game, surprising themselves as players. You know, when you do something so cool that you never expected to do, the story can the storyteller can be like, hey, sounds like you're you're going to gain, gla gain glamour from that because that's just so awesome. You know, there are other ways to gain glamour, though. And since this is October, we'll speak to those real quick as well. <laughs>
there totally are. I guess I just wanted to highlight that, like, one of the things that I've always loved about this game is that it 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 very uh, is that it gets the joy of role playing itself very well, um, and it builds an understanding of the joy of role playing into itself, and that that incentive that that way that it's uh, that role playing and risk taking is incentivized. Uh, always stood out to me as just like, oh, this game gets it. This game really gets it. So, it does. <laughs> so getting glamour from inspiring people is like the main way. You can also get it from uh, revelry, uh, which is, I think, what Griffin's talking about, right? I think that's what I'm talking about, too, yes. Yeah. Now, you can also create your own art and game, and that is called Rupture, um, because you, like, finally, like, meld your fairy soul and your human body into this unified, like, font of, like, brilliance and wisdom those are all really beautiful altruistic ways of uh, gaining glamour however there are other ways you can terrorize someone to the point where they cry and are depressed and basically turn yourself into it like a monster and that is called ravaging and it is has a place <laughs> but there's also rhapsody which is where you basically do everything that you do to inspire an artist to create something and when they're done with this sublime masterpiece you destroy it, preferably in front of them. And it is freaking twisted. <laughs> and there are some changelings that actually have to do that to survive. Aha. You're welcome. <laughs> so I was going to say, what you were describing for a lot of this, for some reason, the only image that's coming to mind is like Stardust-era Bowie. Yeah, that's that's a fair read. Uh, I also throw in there some like Neil Gaiman too, you know. Uh, I think this game owns, owes a lot to Neil Gaiman. <laughs> oh, a ton to Neil Gaiman. <laughs> um, but there's all you also see, you also see like um, other contemporary artists doing it, like Shauna McGuire um, with her October Day series. Like you can see a lot of resonances with Changeling in that. Um, Marie Brennan, um, the Onyx Court series. Like she actually directly references Changeling and Dreaming in her notes in the back of it, which is really cool. So you see this game really hitting a lot of touchstones and i think it is that gray area that it exists in that allows for that um i know we keep coming back to that but it's like i think it's the biggest selling point of this game is this light versus dark and how and finding yourself in the middle but i think that gray area is like the perfect playground for uh, shall i say adult gamers or more mature gamers 100 percent. like you know i mentioned this in, in the the panel we did at this convention we were at just this past weekend that for me, one of the joys of role-playing games has always been that you can do that thing that just came into your head. There is mm -hmm. nothing stopping you from, you know, your imagination is the only limit in a role-playing game, really. You know, whereas if you're playing a computer game or, you know, video game or a board game or mm -hmm. whatever, you're constrained by the design of the game, by the coding of the, the video game, whatever, where, a role-playing game, you can figure out, well, okay, yeah, if we do this, yeah, we can make this work. Yeah. I think that's why we all do this, isn't it? I mean, because I, I, I'm not a big video gamer. Like, I, like, I frankly, I suck at video games. I've never been good at them. Like, I know everyone says, play them more and you'll get better. I just don't. <laughs> but I love role-playing games. Like, it is what I eat, sleep, and breathe. And it, it brings me the most joy and the most frustration. And I think there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think that's that's the drive. That's the want to do this because it's it lets you have the creativity and the openness that other media and other art forms don't really allow for. And dreaming is about 
creativity and imagination, mm -hmm. which is why I really think it's it's kind of White Wolf's love letter to role playing games themselves, you know, because it's it's sort of a yeah, it's just it's a it's a game that that delves into the the trials of creativity and the joys of creativity and what it is like being a creative person looking out at the world that just like misses the point. Yeah. And I also think that that like like tying it back into the spookiness of this game, there is a a very chilling horror to Changeling the Dreaming in the same way that there is a very like unusual grace to Wraith the Oblivion, right? Wraith the Oblivion starts horrifying. You're a ghost, you're in a world where that's mostly made out of melted down ghosts. There's a an ev there's a, a debatably evil empire that is at least keeping the more evil like void at bay, and you just gotta find your way through it. And as you start finding your way through it, you start to realize that, like, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe I tried as hard as I could in my life, and that's just gonna be that. And then you have the chance of like finding some grace, moving on, so long as you don't get smelted down and turned into an ashtray. And then in dreaming it starts with bright colors pretty pictures like let's go on an adventure this is you know this is a love letter to passion and creativity but right the the problem in dreaming is that like creativity's dying like the dreaming's on its way out like banality is only getting worse and you're stuck fighting a losing battle against mortals who understand you and your desires less and less and so there's this creeping loneliness and creeping coldness. And right, part of, to, to me, part of making a changeling game work involves like getting the creep of that coldness right. You know, that slowly but surely your dreams are dying and you can go out fighting if you want, but like you're on your way out. And to add on to that, Griffin, I think to me too, because I hear what you're saying there, but and that's part of it for me. But the other part of it is where I think changeling more so than other world of darkness games because i think they all do it really forces you to examine your character's morality and what they're willing and not willing to sacrifice for it because if you're a changeling and you're out of glamour like just lay it on mechanical aspects so you have four points of glamour and you run out but you need some to do an art do you ravage the mortal at the video store like two blocks down for a quick fix or do you sacrifice your own glamour to refill your pool thus lessening yourself permanently moving forward and that and like that's just like that's a moral quandary that you have to ask and what are you willing to do and how much does that take away from you in doing it whichever you decide i don't know i find it interesting no it makes a lot of like like yeah that those types of conflicts to me it's it's like so to speak, the system has built in all those gray choices that are so much fun to put in front of your players when you're running a game and see what they do and then see what shakes out of it. Mm -hmm. And then you add into it that like changelings like live life after life and can re have remembrance of past lives. And what does that mean if they remember being like a better person in a past life, but they're not presented with those opportunities in this one? I love remembrance. It might be one of my favorite backgrounds. <laughs> it's a good one. All right, so uh, what else do you guys want to want to speak on about Changeling? Because, admittedly, like this is you guys teaching us too. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So, 
C20, the new edition, did some really, really, really cool things. Uh, and I'm going to mention this because I do think that this is like both a perk and a flaw. The She have two different versions of their kit. They have an Arcadian version and they have um, an Autumn version. And they mechanically function differently. And I think that it would be cool to see Arcadian versions of other kits because... The She went back to Arcadia to rule. Well, if they only let themselves in, who are they ruling in, in the Land of Fairy? Like, if you can't, if there's no one to rule, then you're not really ruling anything. And I think that's that, that discussion is really cool, and I think that it goes back into the gray area. There also this really cool thing called Banner Houses that the Player's Guide developed. So instead of making just new one noble house after another and, like, this unending spiel of houses... There are these houses that are like sub-houses within the house now that have their own boons and flaws that are really interesting. And I think that is some fascinating stuff that uh, C20 has done, and I am very excited about it. <laughs> Just to sell the game even more to everyone. <laughs> Buy the books! They're so good! <laughs> well, isn't that what the other half of this hobby about, is having enough of a collection of books that your downstairs neighbors live in terror? <laughs> mm. Yeah, it is. It certainly is. <laughs> like I said, I'm moving, and I have 37 boxes, I think 20 of which are gaming books. Maybe more. I'd have to count them. If you don't walk past your uh, your tabletop RPG uh, shelf and wonder if it falls, would it kill me, then are you really playing tabletop RPGs? <laughs> well, I discovered a meme this past week that I think is a perfect justification <laughs> it's just, you know, picture of this, you know, big wall of cube bookshelves. It says when a game master dies, their heart is put on a scale and it must be uh, lighter than their collection of books. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I think I shared that meme on our Discord. <laughs> oh, I, I'm I, pretty I, sure I shared that on our Discord. I certainly did. I shared it on the 29th. I know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> Who knows? Steve probably stole it from you. <laughs> I might have, or we might have stolen it from the same place. Who knows? It might just be it might just be gaming osmosis, and it just kind of always existed. Yeah, well, isn't that what that's the what internet does that's anymore? That's a very changeling take on that one. It was just kind of there. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it Any does. final thoughts on changeling before we move into our next segment? We have not necessarily touched on the magic system in Changing the Dreaming, but it just includes some very fun improvisatory elements that you should just know that, know that like they build the like the joy and the creativity out into the magic system. It does. Uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's so much fun. And is a lot more versatile in a, in a C20 than it was in, in the past. Um, I think in terms mm -hmm. of ap applicability, mm -hmm. um, it's really fun. It's more thematically based in a lot of respects, I think. And the way it functions is really neat. Like, you like have your art, which is what they call like the magic powers, like disciplines or spheres, and then you have your realms that determine what you can affect, and if you don't have the right realm, you can spend glamour. Again, moral questions coming up, even in magic system, about what you're willing to sacrifice of yourself to be able to make this effect happen. And that's really fascinating, too, and how it all interplays together. And seeing the way players can, how creative they can get with their art plus realm combinations. I think, as an example of this, there is a, the Wayfair art is all about movement. I had a character once who couldn't cast it on themselves or, or other people, but instead was able to cast magic on objects. So to get out of this chase, cast like hopscotch, which lets you like jump really high on someone's <laughs> breastplate. 
and it was really fun because they went flying 40 feet into the air and we got away. Sounds like it also encourages really creative application of what you can do. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. There's also a part of the magic called unleashing. And the, the point of the, yes. the point of the, the cantrips, which are the individual abilities that you can do, are that they have select effects. But you get these these cantrips within a certain art that cover certain themes. So like Wayfair, which Logan was talking about, covers travel. You know, uh, Skycraft covers like storms and lightning, so on and so forth. And so if you ever want to do something that you feel would fit with a theme of one of your arts, you can actually like dig into your powers as a fae, fully re reveal yourself as a fae to everyone around you, call on the dreaming itself and say like, I want this thing to happen. It fits with my magic. Make it happen. And the cool thing about the mechanics of unleashing is that there are a couple of outcomes. If you and Logan, correct me if I'm wrong about this. If you roll fewer successes than you have dots in the art, it doesn't happen. If you roll successes within the number of dots that you have in the art, so like if you have three dots in Skycraft and you want to make a lightning storm during prom to freak everyone out. Um, okay, no, 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 not quite. So if you roll no successes, it doesn't happen. If you get, like, say you have level four in Skycraft and you're doing Unleashing Skycraft, if you get four successes or lower, yeah. it does what you want. And then so if, if it's it, there's there's a realm where it does what you want. And then if you get more successes, than you understand the magic you're invoking. The dreaming itself takes over and does things with your intentions. And that means the ST casts your spell for you. Um, and so it's like and that means just, the ST gets dr dreaming is really, really good <laughs> about being like, yes, this is a, it's a game about creativity and creativity can go wrong. You can get really you can get too obsessed with a project. Your project can take over your life. You know, like the the Fae aren't necessarily good. They murder people for fun sometimes, just for the sake of the dreaming. And and to add to that, the more you unleash, the more nightmare dice you get until you get to a point where you can be totally overtaken by the nightmare and become this creature of evil is not the right word, but but of nightmare, of darkness, of chaos, of pure chaos. And again, I say it again, bringing up that moral quandary of how much are you willing to sacrifice of yourself to achieve your goals? It's just baked into every layer of the game. <laughs> it's a good little game. Good little game. So let me ask this. When are we playing? Because uh, I, <laughs> I want to play this, like, soon. <laughs> I always want to play this, so if someone wants to run it, I, I usually end up, like, Griffin runs it sometimes, I run it a lot, but I would love to play it. <laughs> I mean, I am running so much right now, but I, <laughs> I, but I would, I, I ran a lovely game of Dreaming uh, that was just, like, a love letter to the city of Philadelphia, mm -hmm. um, and I would, I would run that game again in a heartbeat if I had the energy, you know, like a sequel or something like that. Just just change it to the other side of the state and we're fine. <laughs> hey, uh, I could it would be it would be so much fun to do Pittsburgh because, right, uh, the Pittsburgh Philly rivalry <laughs> is fun on its own. Now imagine there are fairies about, you know, who are who right. are involved in it, you know, you know, also add into it that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super cool. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. sounds really fun. So um, do either of you have anything 
including your podcast that you want to plug again or just plug in the first place? Um, well, we're winding down for the year. So we have our Twitch game um, every other Friday where we play Promethean the Creative, which is Chronicles of Darkness, not World of Darkness, that we do on Twitch. We also release that audio um, on our off weeks so that people who don't like Twitch or don't have time for Twitch, because that totally a thing I totally get, can listen to the game as well. It is a few, I think it's about four or five sessions behind we're at currently. But it is getting released, very lightly edited, very, very, very lightly edited. I want to stress that. Um, but that's the only real plug I have. Do you have any, Griffin? Yeah, um, I, I was just going to plug Body Electric, which or the Body Electric, which is the AP that we run. Um, I think that's my big thing that I'd plug. You know, like yeah, keep 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 gaming, keep listening to podcasts about games. I'd say you know, audience members, keep up the good work. Oh, real quick, another plug. We, um, and I, if you guys need to cut this, I totally understand, but we're affiliated with Metallic Dice Games. If anyone wants to go to Metallic Dice Games and enter the code STORYTOLD10, they'll receive 10% off their order. They're really great guys, and they make really amazing dice, so I like to plug them whenever I can. Yeah, cool. no, we'll keep that in. <laughs> That'll stay in. Yep. I said so, and I have the button. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think that's that. Yeah, with that, we move into the next segment of our podcast, which is Game of the Week. Woohoo! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! I've been ready for this. You told me you mentioned this, and I was so excited because there's this game that I'm like super obsessed with right now. No, go ahead. Go, go. <laughs> it's called it's called The Wizards and the Wastes. Um it's in its second edition. It's by um yeah, by uh by Nerves, Project Nerves LLC, um, which uh is like a really interesting little indie game company um by the creator's name is bats b-a-t-t-s and essentially it's kind of like playing howl from howl's moving castle but like it's all kinds of wizards and how your powers work is you use things like art poetry um prose magazines music uh, like lyrics, and you develop your spells from those sources, and once they're used, you can't do it again. <laughs> it is so kooky and weird, and I love it. <laughs> I think I've heard of this somewhere. I'm not sure. It, it popped... It, if you, like, follow all the games... I don't remember where, though. It popped up on my Facebook feed, like, about six months ago, and that's where I knew to order it. Um, and okay. they're also the same guys that do, like, Dot Dungeon and Your Body is a Cage. Like, super, really cerebral out there kooky weird indie stuff it's really really neat really really that's my game of the week <laughs> i think maybe what we'll do is we'll switch off so i'll go ahead and go i got my game of the week because okay i'm gonna steal one that so we met the creator of the game at the con this weekend fantastic person really cool interesting game this game is called the Dightman files and that is d-e-i-t-t-m-a-n and um it's by a, a creator called uh Alexandra Friend Clinton. It is a game. It is a, a um, what is that called? Um, powered by the Apocalypse? Yes, Powered by the Apocalypse game about ghost hunting. Ooh. Yes. Ooh, uh, I need to look into this. Yes, I, I can. I'll post the, uh, Ooh, I'll post the fun. link for the drive through <laughs> in the green room here. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, they were at the convention. Yeah. Yeah, very, very, very cool game. I I regret not having the funds to pick up a physical copy because curse you funds. Uh, um, yeah, I want to check that out. 
Ooh. This, it seems like a really awesome game, and I'm hoping to get them on the podcast soon. We need to get <laughs> that figured out, but I'd love to have a conversation about this game. Yeah, I but found yeah. them on Twitter this morning. Good. <laughs> I think we have their email somewhere. Yeah, well, like I said, I followed them on Twitter. Okay. We have well, that work. connection. That sounds so cool, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that does look neat. Fabulous. Well, that's my game of the week. Really nice people, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Stood and talked to us for, what, 20 minutes or so? Something like that, yeah. But, yeah, just an interesting take on it. And, you know, there's a lot of games about ghosts, but not a lot of games about ghost hunters. So, And I think, didn't she tell us that it's really designed as a one-shot game? Yes, more aimed towards one-shots, not necessarily long-running campaigns. That actually sounds really neat. <laughs> I will really have Ooh. to look at that. Um, that that sort of transitions into my game of the week, if, uh, if we're cool with that. Mm-hmm. So I went on vacation at the end of August, and I was approached by a number of like friends and friends of friends. And they all were kind of just like, hey, Griffin, you you run role playing games. I, I always really wanted to, you know, see what that's about. But, you know, I never really put the energy into I was just, yeah. Is there a way I could maybe like try a little? And I was like, OK, here we go. Let's get a group text to get together. And I pitched them a couple of games. And the one they ended up picking was Sleep Away, which is neat because Sleep Away is GMless. And uh, Sleepaway is a game about camp counselors at a, a, a summer camp where there is sort of like magical things happening in the woods, but also an evil monster called the Lindworm who uh, the Lindworm who is going to like hunt the, the kids in the camp. And so you play a counselor. You've been to the camp before. You know, the woods is magic. You know, there's a monster out there and you have to sort of protect your campers a little bit. But it also is a, a love letter in celebration to like summer camp and like growing up and stuff like that and i've never run a gmless game i mean i guess you don't run gmless games you just play them um uh, but like i've never played a gmless game before and i've never been responsible for introducing a gmless game to a bunch of players who have never played role-playing games before and it's a th- Thrilling challenge because that game like knows what it wants and has some really cool ways of doing it. But like, I have to make sure that we adapt everything so that it's good for new players. That's by J Dragon, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it, it is. is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and I pitched Wander Home as well, and they didn't go for Wander Home, which was so sad because I really wanted to play Wander Home. Same. I'm in that same boat. Oh, they're they're both excellent though. They're both truly excellent games. We ended up we ended up going with with Sleepaway, but uh but yeah, I'm I'm so excited to see how it goes. And I really hope, right, that as a as a game made by J Dragon, which means it's going to be very light on its feet, but also very impactful, but also as a GMless game, it's going to meet these new players who don't have any preconceptions about what a role-playing game should be. And it's going to be like, hey, it, it's okay. We can tell a story together. It doesn't have to be D&D. And you don't need to look up spreadsheets to determine how far an arrow goes. Um, <laughs> so, so, like, good. I'm I'm really hoping to get in on the ground floor in some really good ways with these players. Cool. Actually, yeah. So to interject real quick, I, I, I already own Sleepaway, but I just bought the diamond. <laughs> nice. It is, <laughs> it is cool. pretty cheap. Uh, J Dragon makes the games that I want to play. 
Yeah. Like hands down. Wander yeah. Home has been on my radar for a while and it's just like this is oh yeah. Oh. J Dragon's who I want to be when I grow up. I'm yeah. Like, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, agreed. Hard agree. <laughs> I think too, if you want to do some like homework on that, I believe um James D'Amato played that on the one shot feed a while back. Oh, cool. Now like finding it because of the volume of that feed might be a little tough, but <laughs> probably a Google search. <laughs> That sounds like something Google can handle, yeah. All right, what do you got, Steve? <laughs> okay, well, I one, I'm going to kind of break the mood here a little bit because you all went with these kind of ethereal whatever games, and <laughs> I'm, I'm the resident metalhead, what can I say? But um, it, it does have a Halloween tie-in. You probably picked my first choice. <laughs> and I'm also kind of cheating because this technically has appeared on Game of the Week before, but it was either the first or second episode we ever did. <laughs> Fair. And I bought the game this weekend. Mm. That's Slay Industries, specifically the second edition. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw your picture. <laughs> what is Slay Industries, you ask? It is... I was thinking about this today. How do you describe this? It is sci heavy metal sci-fi post-corporate dystopia. <laughs> if that makes any sense? Okay. I'm about it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense, actually. So, that tracks. like, it's this <laughs> world, universe, if you will, right? There's these bunch of planets that are out there, and they're all controlled by Slay Industries. They own all the, they own everything. You know, like, there is no competition. And obviously, it's got the kind of corporate dystopia thing going from cyberpunk and everything right there's haves and have nots and all this well as player characters you are effectively troubleshooting teams or um independent security operators not really independent but you know what i mean freelance so you carry cameras with you to film you solving all whatever these problems are and basically the way you get paid is by how well your footage gets ratings on TV and amongst other things, wow. one of the things that has been done in world is that because melee draws better ratings than gunshots, there are massive taxes on bullets. <laughs> so like bullets, I'm weirdly okay bullets with this cost <laughs> just tons of money. And here, let me, uh, let me share the link to the game on drive through with you guys. And if you scroll down, there's a picture in the listing of one of the big kind of spooky bad guys. His name's Halloween Jack. It's also him on the cover of the book. And he's wielding what's maybe the iconic weapon of the game. It's called a chain axe. And, <laughs> you know, I'm sure we're all thinking, you know, like a flail crossed with an axe. No, this is an axe crossed with a chainsaw. I'm weirdly into it. <laughs> And I mean, like th this is, you know, yeah, the original version of the game came out sometime in the mid nineties uh, from a game company called Nightfall Industries. They then sold it to, believe it or not, Wizards of the Coast, I believe before Wizards bought D&D. Bounced around for a number of years. They find the same creative team bought it back and have now released the second edition. So it's it's also got this kind of you know, Thatcher era England punk because the creators are Scottish and it's, it's just this, Oh, it's, it's, 
I flipped through it last night after I got home from the convention and it's just, the art is amazing. The, all of it. It's just this weird, heavy metal science fiction, dystopic, you know, like there's elements of like, are they parodying cops to a point? Are they parodying society as a whole? And I think the answer is yes to all of it. Plus there's one race in the game that uses a form of magic they call ebb. I mean, it's, it's wild. It's crazy. And it's violent. And I think that's the <laughs> big pitch for it. Um, <laughs> cool. Can I actually cheat a little bit too and plug another game? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> okay. So this is actually much more near and dear to my heart. Um, are you, either of you familiar with that old game from the nineties called tribe eight from dream pod nine? I want to say I've heard of it, but it may be more that I've just heard you talking about it. <laughs> Well, it is a post-post-apocalyptic game uh, where society in the past three generations, uh, humanity rather, has been largely released from enslavement by these monstrous spiritual beings. Um, And as a PC, you play someone who's been banished from your tribe, who is part of this prophesized eighth tribe. You've been exiled from your Fatima, who is an avatar of the goddess, of which there are seven, and you are now trying to find your way as this fallen individual who is trying to live up to a prophecy that is much bigger than themselves. Well, it was part of DreamPod 9's silhouette system. However, me and a couple of friends of mine are working with DreamPod 9 to write Tribes in the Dark, which is going to be a Forged in the Dark derivative of this 90s game. And we have it about 60% written. And currently, the playtest is on DriveThruRPG. I'll post that link in the green room as well. Um, and we're just looking for playtesters and all that kind of good stuff while we finish up writing. I just finished up writing, personally, all of the tribes and all of the Fatimas, um, and that's been really cool. And we're just kind of plugging away, and we'll take it to Kickstarter eventually. Um, but I just wanted to plug it because it is a really cool game. It's also in my top three games, and I'm really excited to be working on something in an official capacity yeah, for sounds it, cool. so I'm pretty stoked, to be honest. Yeah, that's... Definitely yeah. something I'm going to check out. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you for letting me cheat for a moment. <laughs> no, oh, you're fine. Did you imply that there are actual rules to this game? <laughs> <laughs> we need to come up with some actual rules just to break them every now and again. Um, well, no, the only rule we really have is the whole point of the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've yet to have somebody yeah. come on and be like, well, I'm going to suggest D&D 5th edition. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I... <laughs> No, okay. There is a really cool like indie D and D fifth edition uh, thing. The the lore of Athera, um, the Lost Druid. They're kickstarting right now. I interviewed them. Are with Alchemy Lab. I interviewed Chris Eddy from their from their um, staff about it. It's this really cool world and module that's like very interactive and it's really neat. If you want to check it out too. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and we did. Uh, we interviewed um, Russ Morrissey right before level up 5e came out so yeah i know that feeling but i mean like nobody's come on and been like nope just plain old boring <laughs> fifth edition D. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> the first time we had miguel on that was technically for a 5e supplement too technically but again supplement <laughs> yeah cloud seas is neat <laughs> it is really neat anyways um I want to thank you both for coming on the podcast. It's been an awesome conversation hearing about Changeling, and I can't wait to try it. I'd love to be there when you do, because like it's so it's so much fun to see new players encounter that game. Yeah. 
<laughs> we'll make it happen. <laughs> I will keep you both in mind when I figure out the time and when I can do that. Please do. Because that, that sounds like a great time. <laughs> awesome. Um, yes. With all that being said, links to everything mentioned are in the show notes. Um, again, you can find us wherever podcasts are found. And with that, I want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Woohoo! Yep. Take care, Woo. y'all. Yes. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. So our podcast of the... <laughs> Are we? <laughs> I think we are. That's the uh, <laughs> motto I underoperate. The motto I operate under. There we go. I was gonna say, could you talk today, Steve? Are you Apparently good? not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so.